So we use this Pepsi story to really talk about a topic today that I think is relevant to anybody who's in business today, which is how do you build differentiation for a commoditized product? Because most products at the end of the day are commodities or are slightly different. They're not radically different. Sadly, this doesn't get talked about very much in the world of marketing or the world of business. And what we've seen is that the best companies that win categories for these low differentiated products have amazing marketing. They invest in marketing and they invest in having a clear enemy and being for a clear community of people. And I think those are the stories that we wanted to unpack and make sure that we're talking about with all of you today. There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI-powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your show that takes you behind the scenes to tell you how businesses and people grow and counter intuitive ways. I'm your host, Kit Bodner. I am joined, as always, by my host, Kieran Flanagan. Kieran, we have a topic today that you and I are really excited about. And we want to give people the origin story. Today, we're going to talk about what happens when marketing is the only thing that matters. Sometimes, look, you have a revolutionary product. That's great. That's actually very rare. What normally happens, you have a business, a product, a service that is very similar to others. And how you stand out, how you win your category, how you sell is actually through marketing. And Kieran, this came up because you and I were both watching a documentary that we really loved on Netflix called Hey Pepsi, Where's My Jet? Such a good documentary. So first of all, shout out to that documentary. If you've got Netflix, go check that out. But it's basically a story of how Pepsi ran this commercial. It was when they launched Pepsi Points, where you got points for different bottles and cans of Pepsi and you could redeem them for merchandise. And as a joke at the end, that you could redeem those points for a Harrier jet if you had 7 million points. People thought it was a joke, but one man took it really seriously. And it's a whole documentary about his quest to get this jet from Pepsi. And Kieran, that sent you and I down this crazy rabbit hole of... 1980s and 1990s marketing, especially marketing in the Cola Wars. Tell everybody you're learning through your deep dive research of the Cola Wars. I went all the way back to the 60s. Whoa! Coke was founded, I think, in 1890-something and Pepsi at the early innings of the 1900s. And Pepsi was always number two to number one, Coke being number one. Both of them are selling undifferentiated sugar water. Brown sugar water. Selling brown sugar water. And so the Cola War started really heating up and it was really in the 1960s. So there's a really cool guy called Alan Potash and he was like the advertising brains behind a lot of Pepsi's most iconic campaigns. And it was in 1963 was when the Cola Wars really started to heat up when Pepsi released one of their most famous and iconic ads, which was the Pepsi generation. And what Alan Potash had like figured out was very much how you think of the Gen Z's today, this new group of young people who would come from the World War II baby boom. And they were much more young. They were spirited. They loved doing active things. And he wanted to try to capture the feeling of that generation and attach 
Pepsi to it. And that's how they started to kind of really get in on Coca-Cola's mind share and brand share. And so that's when it really started. And I have a ton of learnings. I have a bunch of things that I think that Pepsi did incredibly well. So for the backdrop of today's show, we're talking about marketing as your differentiator when your product is commoditized. And we're using the Cola Wars for this because I think it's the perfect example. But before we get into that, Kieran, you know what my favorite part of the Cola Wars was? Crystal Pepsi. Yes. I have never heard of this. You told me about this off camera. (laughs) Never heard of it. I think when I was like seven or eight, Pepsi did this whole thing where they came out with a product that was Crystal Pepsi. And you know what it was? (laughs) It was Pepsi without the brown coloring. Makes no sense. And I thought it was way better. I thought it tasted way better. I am team Crystal Pepsi. If I was going to drink soda today, it would absolutely be a Crystal Pepsi. Leave a comment on YouTube if you are team Crystal Pepsi or team regular Pepsi, if you grew up in the 90s. But for me, that shows you how commoditized these products were, is why I'm bringing Crystal Pepsi up, is that the whole radical differentiation was to take the food coloring out of the drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right? the same thing. It's just sugary water and different versions. And you know what happened, Kieran? People freaking hated Crystal Pepsi. It was a complete flop. That's why it's not around today. They couldn't get over the similar experience, but with a different product, Right. you know? And the mindshare around that just didn't work. And it's a good reminder to everybody that marketing is really great at setting like habits and expectations for people. And those are really hard to unbreak. And Crystal Pepsi is kind of like the perfect example. It's like you condition people with all this marketing to what Pepsi was, and you tried to launch a different version of it, and they just totally revolted to it. People can't hold two versions of you in their brain, which is really hard when you're trying to do multiple products. Coke had a very similar experience where Pepsi did the very famous taste challenge And they realized that actually people did prefer the taste of Pepsi. So they changed the formula to try to be much more sweeter like Pepsi. And there was like revolt. And there's like all these groups that kind of started to bring back old Coke. So people are like very attached to what you've kind of trained them of what your product actually is. When you have a commodity product, little subtle differences can really be good or really be terrible depending on how strong and vibrant your community is. That's my memory from the Cola Wars, Kieran. Tell everybody kind of what you learned about marketing from a deep dive in the Cola Wars. I think there's three core lessons though. You think about this, right? It's a really interesting use case for a brand because there's Mm -hmm. a, and and Pepsi, I really kind of focused on Pepsi because Pepsi are this challenger brand. And usually when you have a challenger brand, they have a better mousetrap or they have a transformational product, right? Like there's something transformational about their product and they're able to tell a better story about that or they're just a better product, they have a better mousetrap. And Pepsi was really, how do you be either of those things when you're really selling the same thing, which is just brown sugar water? And so one of the things, I'll go back to the first lesson, which is really the kind of where I started and then I've got two others that I would love to kind of get your thoughts on. Yeah. The first lesson is really around this Pepsi generation advertising campaign. Now, the reason it was so iconic was because back in pre this campaign, every single brand focused on the attributes of their product, right? Oh, I love this. The price, the mechanics of the product. But you can't win as a challenger brand if your product is not differentiated by doing that. You can't outspend the incumbent. So what Pepsi did was they really focused on the attributes of the people they wanted to buy their product. It was the first time ever they focused on the lifestyle and the attributes of the product and they put their customer at the heart of the advertiser, right? They despotted this trend. They detected this youthful, carefree and optimistic culture kind of emerging from that World War II baby boom. And they wanted to attach Pepsi to that lifestyle. And I think that is a great lesson for companies today and how they market their brands. 
I love it. That is a timeless example of marketing. And you know what? I think there are a couple iconic examples of that, right? You have the Pepsi example. Then you have the classic 1984 Apple ad spot example where it's like, think different. We're for the misfits. My restatement of both of those spots, right, is to win the category, you first have to be for somebody who's normally the minority, right? Like Apple, it was like, oh, we're going to be for these misfits and these creatives. And if we can win with them, then we can build market share from there into the broader consumer audience. And they did. Right. For Pepsi, it's like, oh, we're not going to win this old generation. We're going to win this new generation. They don't have the same buying power as this old generation, but they will. And that's how we're going to get it. We're willing to play a longer term game. And The reason that too often a company focuses on the price or the features of its product versus the benefits and the emotional value to its audience is because of time. You know, when you talk about the benefits of your product, you get some people to buy it right away. When you're trying to appeal directly to your audience, that is a slower time to value. And it's really important that if you're going to win a category, you have to have a long-term time horizon, right? I agree. I think they had a long-term time horizon. It's not too dissimilar to brands who are trying to like market and appeal to Gen Z today. But that is a category, a cohort of people that will have most of the buying power in the future. They were trying to appeal to 16 to 24-year-olds Pepsi because they knew that they were their core audience. They wanted them to grow up. But they've always kind of thrived in being the challenger brand. Like they had mm-hmm. this like incumbent, they had this clear enemy. And then they wanted to like pitch those as like, Oh, that's for the older folks, the people who are out of touch. We're really for this new generation. They obviously in the 1980s, they they kind of coined the term choice of a new generation. And we can get into some of those things. But I would argue that the Pepsi example, it was harder to pull off than the Apple and Mac. It was. Because Apple did have a differentiated product. Like yes. they actually, Macs are a better product. Like I don't know if they were back in when they originally run that ad, but today, like to me, they're a better laptop. Whereas Pepsi and Coke, like in that documentary, they actually, it was a really funny scene where they had the Coke COO and -hmm. people who were like C-suite do the Coke Pepsi challenge or pick their favorite taste out of like unbranded cups. And two of the Coke executives picked Pepsi. They couldn't pick Coke. And that's what I'm saying. Like you, It's completely undifferentiated. It's completely undifferentiated. I love that. It's a great lesson of focusing on your audience versus your value and features of your product. That's number one. What's your second one? This is what I would love to debate. Oh, yes. It's Go. comparison marketing, right? Because I think a lot Ooh. of listeners and brands will be thinking through, is comparison marketing like is actually being very explicit who my competitor is through my advertising, a good or bad thing? And so Christopher Lockhead, who we're going to have on the show, I'm super excited about from Play Bigger, wrote Play Bigger, the brains behind category creation. He would argue that comparison market is really bad. Like you're spending your marketing budget to basically market your competitor. And what Mm -hmm. we mean by comparison market is Pepsi would actually explicitly market against Coke in their advertising and have Coke as part of that advertising where it's the taste challenge. They have this really famous commercial in 1985. Maybe we'll put it on a YouTube channel. It won the top prize at the Grand Prix in Cannes Lions where they had this kind of archaeologist in the future showing this group of students all of these old things that people used to do in the 80s. And right at the end, they had this bottle and it was a bottle of Coke. And they asked him, oh, teacher, like, what was this thing? They're like, oh, I don't know what that is. That's not important, (laughs) right? Like very explicit about who their enemy is. And so I read a great article from Crystal Lockhead where he's like, ah, that's, you know, Pepsi are a great example of a brand who did comparison marketing and it really wasn't a good thing for them. Was it not? He had some really good figures 
that show that they didn't earn much market share through that. But when mm. I looked at it, they were selling at the rate of one to six cans and through like a lot of this marketing became on par. So what do you think? Like, should you be explicit in calling out your incumbent? Like actually by name, part of your advertising campaign, like very strongly go against them? Or do you think that that is just spending marketing dollars on like advertising your competitor? I think there's a couple of things here that I would say. The first thing here is like most companies today are taking Christopher's advice. I think we are in an era where there's very little comparison, advertising, comparison, marketing. I think that's probably a bad thing. And one of the things I know about marketing is when there's an aspect of marketing that people aren't doing much, there's huge opportunity, right? Like if everybody was out there doing comparison marketing, it wouldn't be that effective. But when very few people are out there doing it, oh, wow, you have some opportunity. And I think the classic opportunity here, argument around comparison marketing is like, you're driving awareness and consideration for your competitor. And that is a bad thing. If you are in a market in which your competitor already has the lion's share of awareness, as well as the lion's share of consideration, what do you have to lose? You know, like I would make the argument that if your competitor is winning on one thing, like the the Coke example is like if you're winning on taste, right? And you're like, oh, well, why don't I go after that and see if that's actually true or not and try to disprove that? I think you can do that in a way that will work. I think brands are too nice today. I don't think you should go out and advertise like an awareness level to compete. But if you're a B2B company, most B2B companies have deep competitive intelligence teams who are doing like positioning around competitive products or competitors at like the sales level. It's like, how do you then take that up to your website and other aspects of your marketing, I think is more important than people realize. I think your advertising has to be really good or you come off as really lame. Yes. You can pull it off if someone sees the, like Pepsi won incredible awards for their comparison ads, right? They were like, cool. Yeah. I think most brands would not be able to do that and it would look super lame, right? And I thought about this, that's a framing as like, if you have truly great advertising and can truly figure out what is the hook and the angle mm-hmm. that I can use against my incumbent in a way that it will look kind of cool and people will really resonate with it and not think it's just like uh, taking, you know, you know, a small brand taking shots at the larger brand and comes off as kind of lame. I do think there's something to that. I've seen more examples of it being really lame than I have being like super cool. Like, well, like Apple's an example, Pepsi's an example, but in B2B tech, I don't think there's like many good examples. I think here's the challenge, right? Is you're making the point that calling out your competitor in your marketing or advertising is hard because it's it's a high risk. The the, the likelihood of pulling it off is really challenging. And so if we want to unpack that a little bit, like what is the magic that Pepsi and others who I think have gotten the competitive marketing thing right, what did they do? Like the spot you were just talking about a minute ago with the archaeologist who's going back through the society in the 1980s, like that whole spot was a story and about Pepsi. And Coke, there was a Coke bottle shown for like one second and the word Coke was never said, right? So it was a very small part of that message but it was kind of a punchline that got delivered as part of the overall story. And I think that is how you win and make really competitive marketing work. It's not focused. We at HubSpot, and I think you see a lot of people in tech, instead of calling out the company, even you talk about the core product differentiation. So when you have software, you can kind of have more differentiation and make that work. When you have a commodity product like Pepsi, I think you have to hit competitors harder. So I think competitive marketing is also a function of 
how little differentiation you have. If you're in a situation where you don't have as much differentiation, you probably have to do more competitive advertising. I agree. The two things so far we've covered off in terms of when marketing is the only thing that matters, using this as a kind of case study is you have to really focus on the attributes of your buyers versus your product because you can't yes. differentiate in products. So you have to really tap into you know, the way that you want the audience to feel about your product or even the attributes of themselves. Like Pepsi actually mm -hmm. leaned into who these people were and then just kind of just plug their product into like, oh yeah, like this is gonna make you feel this. Everyone else can feel this way as well, right? And then comparable marketing, I agree with you that if you really can't differentiate in product, you have to try to figure out how you can say that we are for you and this brand, the incumbent is for like, ah, these kind of people over here, but like, they don't get it. They're not the future. They're not the cool people. Like they are kind of like, it's like the archeologist is the perfect ad, right? Because it's like, yeah. Yeah, they didn't mention them, but it was the iconic Coke bottle. Yes. You could not know the, who it was. They were the punchline, right? Mm -hmm. They were like, ah, right. That, I get what you're saying. Like totally. all this stuff is like antiquated and not relevant in the future. And so I have a third. You want to go into a third? Lay it on me. Drop it. So I think this is true for like who you invest in, oh. companies you join but brands who can latch onto a trend, right? Oh. And so the trend that Pepsi dominated in the 80s was actually MTV became a real thing in 1981. And it was really the MTV generation. And they did these partnerships with the likes of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's first ad with Pepsi was seen by an estimated 97% of the USA at some point in time. So like 97% <laughs> of the US bananas. population at some point Dude, saw like that It's like literally ad. impossible now. Yeah. With the, with, the, with the fragmentation of media, 97% of the USA would it's see unbelievable. nothing. It's unbelievable, right? And so like they really captured that MTV. They used music. Music was their growing trend and not just music, music through music videos. There's an iconic Michael Jackson ad where he changed, you might even remember, he changed the words yeah. of like Billie Jean to the Pepsi yeah. generation. And so just like iconic ads kind of based around this growing trend of like music videos and the people who are most popular at that time. And I think that's a real thing, right? Like how can you be part of something that is growing in popularity? Well, well, there's a couple of things there. You're pushing on catching on to a trend, which I agree with. If you are working at a company that's got the tailwind of a trend, but like that's actually not what happened. What actually happened is Pepsi kind of pioneered influencer marketing. First and foremost, like right. as we see it today, the, obviously there was influencer marketing in terms of using actors and spokespeople well before this, but the approach they took where they had, instead of like one spokesperson, like all these really popular influencers across culture and using those influencers to tell that story was very different and very novel. So I, I think Pepsi pioneered influencer marketing. The other thing they did that was even kind of more than the trend thing, I would argue, is they attached their brand to popular culture. They had the keen insights of popular culture for the audience that they were talking about. And I think most companies and most brands are afraid to be a part of popular culture or don't understand how to be part of popular culture. They don't understand how to be part of popular culture. They just culture. don't fundamentally get it. And Pepsi, why they nailed this in the 80s and 90s is because they really got how to attach themselves to popular culture. Consumer brands are much better at understanding popular culture. Like these advertising agencies are pretty incredible at being able to plug into popular culture. B2B brands have never really had to think about popular culture, right? It's not, it's not that they suck at it. It's just that they never had to think about it. I think that changes. I think you start to see like different verticals go much more pop culture and the kind of content that's been created. No better examples than fintech and Elon rebuilding Twitter. <laughs> well, well, right? well, let's break that down for everybody listening. 
I think you're right in that companies that sell to other companies, B2B companies, haven't needed to attach themselves to popular culture. And the reason they haven't is because their products were inherently very differentiated, right? Where consumer companies are much more commodity products and they differentiate more on brand. B2B products, you can have this very niche product and be very differentiated. What is happening today is very important for everybody to understand. Like in software, for example, Software is becoming far less differentiated because all of the underlying technology is becoming mature. Access to it is becoming much cheaper. And it is very easy to build similar products that have much less differentiation over a period of time, right? You can't do it overnight, but it, it, it does happen. And so my bold prediction here is that B2B companies are going to be forced to adapt and latch on to popular culture in the way that consumer companies mm. have had to over the last several decades because of this commoditization of B2B services and B2B products that's happening right now. There's going to be a lot of B2B software companies selling brand sugar water. Is your point, right? I mean, look, I'm ready for somebody to have their own sports drink. No, but I, I actually really mean that, that it's the equivalent, right? Yes. Like there's no differentiation between product because they're all building on the same technology and theoretically do most of the same thing. So you're now you're selling brand sugar water that is undifferentiated from the next brand who is selling brand sugar water. And it's a point we have made repeatedly on this show, which is distribution is the most important commodity so in the future. Uh, I think we're going to have some guests on who have really cracked yeah. distribution in interesting ways. I want to quickly shout out the fourth thing Please, you know, please, I want to, you know, as a Web3, for the most part, advocate, I want to you know, <laughs> do the most part. Did you qualify your Web3 credentials? You're like, well, I used to be a fan of Web3, but not, not anymore. <laughs> I will say the FTX thing is really like the stories of, of how bad it was, I think has it really, so has bad. really shook my faith. But anyway, Pepsi, Kip, because you're a doodle yeah. holder. I'm a Dijon Ape holder, but we are <laughs> NFT holders. Yeah. Pepsi proved that you can reward your biggest fans without needing an NFT. You don't need an NFT, Kip. The whole documentary is based around the campaign, drink Pepsi, get stuff, right? I think Mm -hmm. that was the the tagline. And you can basically collect points and get things from Pepsi, right? Or you can drink Pepsi and get swag. And guess what? They didn't need the NFT to like prove uh, (laughs) ownership, right? So, you know, the original uh, use case of NFT has, you know, goes pretty well without needing those NFTs. Well, there's three universalities in life. You die, you pay taxes, and all human beings love merch, baby. (laughs) Everybody loves loves merch. I've never met a human who's like, you know, I don't want any merch. Darren hasn't got us our merch yet. So first of all, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. For your what merch do you want? For what type of merch? Do you want a t-shirt, hat, or it's hoodie? It's coming. It's coming. We're going we, to make hat, a limited hat. edition Marketing Against the Grain run of merch. Oh, hoodie. We've got some Nika. idea. I got a hoodie, t-shirt, or hat. Let us know in the comments. We want to hear it. But again, that Pepsi campaign is the iconic example that humans love merch. Humans love merch. That is the takeaway. Number four, merch <laughs> is always a good idea. Merch is always a good idea. So we use this Pepsi story to really talk about a topic today that I think is relevant to anybody who's in business today, which is how do you build differentiation for a commoditized product? Because most products at the end of the day are commodities or are slightly different. They're not radically different. And sadly, this doesn't get talked about very much in the world of marketing or the world of business. And what we've seen is that the best companies that win categories for like these low differentiated products have amazing marketing, 
they invest in marketing and they invest in having a clear enemy and being for a clear community of people, right? And I think those are the the stories that we we wanted to unpack and make sure that we we're talking about with all of you today. Kieran, do you feel like there's any other lessons for companies that you want to share for companies who have a low differentiated product out there? No, I love that. I think uh, lean into less about the product, lean into the way it's makes your audience feel or the benefits to your audience or just like who is your audience, like your audience can see themselves using the product. I think we agree the comparison market is a great thing to do in an undifferentiated world. If you can do it in a unlame way, which I think reduces the number of people who can pull that off to like 1% of all marketers in existence, because I think it's the hardest <laughs> thing to do. So hard. I think influencer marketing, we talked about this a little bit with Steph in our previous AI show. You should go check that out because this yeah. was a really Shout good- Smith. Yeah, we, a lot of the AI, generative AI companies are struggling with this, which is they're all built on the same uh, APIs. And we talked about influencer marketing and standing up AI companies through existing influencers as a way to distribute. So I think they're all of the things and people love merch. Hoodie or hat is my <laughs> go-to. So well, please your vote, drop man? in reviews. What, what, what swag do you want to make I first? Don't know. You I, can't, pick. I, I can't pick between a hoodie. Or, I, I will do a hat because it's going to be in shot all the time. And you know, I'm a marketer. I'm always thinking about promoted, <laughs> yes. promoted yes. promotion. So it will be in that. It will be in the shot all the time. I love my Dijon ape hat. It's like the, my favorite piece of merch that I've got. You're welcome, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you got me that. If we can make a cooler hat than the, the Dijon ape one, then I will be pretty happy. Let's do it. I love that. Swag coming your way soon. Thanks for a trip down memory lane with the Cola War. I hope that served as a great example for what you need to do if you are in a situation where your product isn't very differentiated from the competition. We will see you again very soon on Marketing Against the Crane.